Well, good morning, New City Covenant Church. It is uh, an honor to be here with you. Uh, I've, I've joined you a number of times before. Uh, I'm Kara Stromberg, superintendent of the Northwest Conference. Uh, I've been on the job two months. <laughs> so the previous times that I've been here have been uh, for different roles. And um, this is always a really exciting day, the installation of a new pastor, because it's all celebration. <laughs> it is all celebration. We've been waiting for this uh, for a long time. Uh, so, so good, good to be here. Uh, you're in a pivotal moment today with the installation of your new pastor. Uh, in essence, you're crossing a threshold in a number of ways. Uh, you have done the careful work of discernment, of uh, you've conducted a thorough and authentic process. I remember meeting with the search team how long ago? It was a long time ago because it was in the middle of COVID. We were spread out very widely here, right, right here, kind of holding it before the Lord saying, what's the future of this church going to be? And it always starts with we have no idea. <laughs> we have no idea. And we're holding this before the Lord. And here we are. Uh, we've got Tim Sacconi and, and family here uh, at the church. So this is a big deal. We're crossing a threshold together. We're responding to the Lord's invitation together to go forward in faith into whatever this next step will be. When my husband and I, uh, we've been married for 22 years, when we purchased our first home uh, in St. Paul, he said, I think I'm supposed to carry you across the threshold or something. <laughs> I said, okay. And so he picked me up kind of like the long way, and then he proceeded to go straight through the doorway. And he nailed both my head and my feet on the doorframe. Um, and he said, okay, well, that's, that happened. And um, to this day, you know, I think it's more funny than painful. Um, but we felt like there was some sort of reason why we, he was supposed to carry me across the threshold. There's something was supposed to happen. Um, there are both historical and superstitious reasons why men might carry their brides across a threshold like that, uh, which is the actual piece of wood at the base of a doorway. Uh, but the de definition of crossing a threshold has more to do with making the transition from the old to the new. Transitioning from what is known and, and maybe comfortable and familiar and going into the unknown together, that moment that you are crossing the threshold together. It represents a boundary into this new frontier, whatever it's going to be. Uh, it's a highly symbolic act because it's the starting point of an experience, um, a point at which something happens or ceases to happen, um, takes effect or becomes true. So in times of transition and call like this, there is no story more significant, more meaningful or direction-setting for the people of God than the call of Abram. An ordinary man, an ordinary man, that God called into ministry and did great things through the ministry of Abraham. Uh, so Genesis 12, verses 1 through 9 was read earlier. You can open your Bibles if you'd like to follow along. Because this is a very significant passage um, in the life of the people of God um, that we are continuing to live into today. Because in this passage, God instructed Abram to go from his country, to leave his people, to leave his land, to the place that God would show him, to leave everything that is comfortable and to step out in faith. And that is how our text starts for today. Because there's a couple things that are going on here that are pretty significant. God is not simply asking Abram to make a cross-country move, which would have been a really big deal, to ask someone to move a great distance. This demand from God is huge because people don't just make cross-country moves like that. 
You don't just leave your family and your people and your clan and go to a new place. Unless you're in poverty, unless you have no other options, unless you've been defeated in battle. Because Abram had responsibilities back in his land. And so for God to tell him to leave and go to this new place was pretty crazy and pretty unheard of. The other thing that's interesting in this passage is that God does not tell Abram uh, the plan up front. God says, Abram, go. And then there's a pause, dot, dot, dot. <laughs> go, wait for it, to the land I will show you. Abram has to decide to obey and go before he gets the rest of the detailed plan about what's going to happen. And I imagine his mind was probably racing with questions. Uh, when should I go? <laughs> How far is the journey? How will I know when I get there? What should I bring? How long will it take? Why me? Is there another option? Do I have to? <laughs> how long do I have to make this decision? Because that's how my mind works when I'm faced with major decisions like this. When I sense God is inviting me into something, I've always got a whole list of questions. And it realized for me it's likely because I like to know all the options up front. And I like to know if there's a plan B. <laughs> I like to organize things. And so I'm, I'm willing to sort of hear this plan and say, okay, that sounds great. But also, if that doesn't work out, I want to know what this plan is over here so that I can have something to fall back on. And that's not how God works. God invites us when we're stepping out into faith, whether it's stepping out into faith to accept a new call to a congregation, whether it's a congregation stepping out in faith to extend a call to a new pastor, whether it's Abram stepping out in faith to leave all of his people and all that he's ever known to this place that God has invited him to, we're invited to go and trust God with the details. When I was growing up, I, I grew up in South Dakota, and so I went, my summer camp uh, was not Covenant Pines, like many of you go to, but it was Camp Judson in the Black Hills of South Dakota. And we would go for uh, family camp, and you had a little more free time during family camp. And so we would leave camp and often go cliff jumping <laughs> because that's what you do. You don't have to sign as many waivers in South Dakota. It's just sort of the Wild West out there. Uh, so there was one place where we would go, and um, I confess that I did more watching than jumping. I mean, I jumped a couple times, but I was one of those people that stood up there for like 20 minutes before I would go. Uh, but there was one rock that I distinctly remember that you get out on the edge of this rock and you can't see the water. <laughs> When you're going to jump. If you're standing off to the side and you're watching people jump, you can see that they're going to be fine. They just have to kind of go out a little bit uh, to clear the rock. But when your feet leave the rock, you can't see where you're going to land. It is terrifying. But that's what God is inviting us to do. God is, in essence, asking Abram in this passage to leave the safety of the rock and doesn't reveal the plan to him until he's flailing through midair. <laughs> There's no plan B. In essence, that's what it means to cross a threshold together. We're not going back to what was. And it's times like this where we're asked to let go of what we hold on to so tightly so that we can be fully ready to receive what God has for us next. So as part of God's instructions to Abram, he makes a promise to Abram. And it's a very significant promise that we need to land on for a little bit. Because verses 2 and 3 in this passage are called the Abrahamic Covenant. And it sets up the whole rest of the Bible. I mean, this happens in Genesis chapter 12. We have the whole rest of Scripture to watch this unfold. And he makes this promise to Abram, an ordinary man, that he calls to do something extraordinary. 
A couple things are significant to note in this promise that God makes to Abram. He promises in verse 2 to make Abram into a great nation. This speaks of God's promise to make a new Hebrew nation or people of God that God would start through Abram. And this is fitting because Abram's name means exalted father. You grew up singing, Father Abraham has many sons when you were a kid. That's where that comes from. Yet at this time in history, Abram was 75 years old. And his wife Sarai was likely about 65 and they were childless. In fact, in, verse, in chapter 11, verse 30, it says that she was barren. Barren, could not have children. And God promises to make them into a great, na- into a great nation. This seems ridiculous, but the beauty of this promise is that it sets up God, it sets God up to perform a miracle on their behalf. Because there's no logical reason why this should be possible. The second thing God promises is that he promises to be a blessing to Abram in verse 2. And when God blesses someone, God puts that person under God's care and protection. It's a spiritual blessing. It's not a political blessing. And it's a blessing to both Abram and Sarai. He promises wealth and importance fame, not fleeting fame like sometimes we see on YouTube and in our culture these days, but he promises that Abram's name would be remembered and he would not be forgotten. Later, Abram's name was changed to Abraham, and that's, like, that's usually how we remember him. He says, I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Because others will be blessed by this covenant as well. Abram's family, his offspring, generations to come, and those they encounter along the way. In fact, all of the people of the earth will be blessed through Abram's offspring, even those who are not yet born. That's a pretty big deal. And why actually crossing the threshold is such a big deal here in this passage? Because it's one thing to secretly believe or hope or wonder that this might be true. And it's another thing to entirely pack up your whole family, your possessions, all your stuff, your animals, your people, everything that you've ever known, and to leave your homeland and trust that God will be true to God's word and that God will be with you. It's essentially jumping off the rock when you can't see where you're going to land. Because that's how God works. God has a long history of calling people out to do bold things before they feel ready to do it. Because if God waited until we felt fully ready (laughs) to do these things that God invites us into, it would be to our glory, not God's. And we'd probably muck it up with all of our planning and trying to micromanage and make all the arrangements on the tail end. My dear friend JJ has a wonderful paraphrase of Psalm 119.105. The passage says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. My friend JJ says, It's not a floodlight unto thy future. (laughs) And I love that the passage is so specific. It says, your, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path, meaning God's word shows us where to go when we need to know and just enough light to show us the step that we're to take. It is not a floodlight unto thy future because we're invited to step out in faith and to trust that God will be faithful. So Abram goes. He steps out in faith and he trusts that God will fulfill God's promises because there's nothing that Abraham could do on his own. So this act of crossing the threshold was an act of total and complete surrender to the will of God because there is no plan B. 
Surrender is this great theological concept that sounds great on paper <laughs> when you read about it. And it's really hard to do in real life, I think. Because it goes against all of our independent, American, stubborn, driven sensibilities that I can do this on my own. Because everything in our culture, in our world, tells us to pursue more and better, better and happier and more beautiful. And you should have a strategic plan with smart goals. And God's plan is to surrender, to surrender and let God take care of things. And I see this happening. It's a mental shift that happens each morning as you wake up in the morning. It's instead of waking up and saying, okay, here's what I've got to do today. I'm going to go through my list. I'm going to go through my list. Here's the things that I'm going to check off so I can be productive and efficient and all these things. Surrender means waking up in the morning with an open posture like this and saying, okay, God, what do you have for me today? What would you like to accomplish through me today? And how can I join you in your work today? Because the whole point of this is not about what you and I do, it's about what God does through us. We experience surrender in large and small ways in our daily lives. And I remember, um, I, I've got three kids, two are teenagers, and then we've got a little bonus nine-year-old <laughs> on the tail end. And I'll be honest, my, my third child is both a, a joy and a handful, if we're being honest. Um, we'll call that leadership qualities. Um, but I remember when, uh, when she was younger, I mean, toddler, little, little kid, uh, the older two kids were in school, and I was home with her for the day, and I had a great plan for our day. We were going to go to Como Zoo. Como Zoo is great because it's free. <laughs> uh, it, was a, it was a beautiful day. It was close to our house. She loved the animals. She thought all the animals were named after her, so we just let her think that. And so I was so excited to take her to the zoo. And you know that when you're dealing with a toddler, um, you can't give them the whole plan because they just can't mentally comprehend all of that. So you have to go step by step. And so I'm talking with my kid and I'm saying, okay, let's get your shoes on. All right, good job, let's get your coat on. Okay, do you need to go potty one more time? Okay, nope, not that way, we're gonna go this way. Okay, let's get to the car. And you use that voice, you know, that we do as parents. And as this went on, she was starting to get a little feisty. She was like, no, I wanna do it my way. I don't want to do that. Okay, let's go to the car. No, let's put you in your car seat. And she was starting to fight me on this. And it got to the point where I was nervous that I was going to either drop her, you know, as I'm trying to get her into her car seat, or I thought the neighbors were going to call child protection on me because she was just like screaming at this point. She just really did not want to go to the zoo. And I had a choice to make in that moment. I could force it, or I could say, all right, fine you win. We're not going to the zoo today. <laughs> I don't know what the right choice was, but I said, okay, fine. We're not going to the zoo today. You win. And she was happy. She was a happy lady because we went back in the house and we had a normal, ordinary day like all the other days before it. And I was sad because I knew what she was missing out on. I knew how much joy the zoo would have brought her if she only had followed my instructions as they were being laid out to her piece by piece. But she didn't know what she was missing. She was just a happy lady, went back inside and, and did what she did every other day. And I think God lets us do stuff like that too. God loves us too much to shove us into our metaphorical car seats and drive us around where God wants us to go. But we miss out. We miss out when we choose our way over God's way, and we don't even know what we're missing. So that's why we're invited to surrender. 
The other thing I want to point out about this passage is that even in Abraham's surrender to the Lord, Abraham encountered obstacles. You simply keep reading. We stopped reading at verse 9 where they, they went to the Negev. Do you know what verse 10 says? There was a famine in the land. <laughs> they started going and there's no food. Immediately, step one on the journey, they encounter hardship. And so the plan changes. They have to divert to Egypt. And then Abram made a poor choice and he tried to pass off his wife as his sister. Then he got into a disagreement with his nephew Lot and they parted ways. In verse 14, God allows Abram to see the land, but then he sees that it's full of people and so he's maybe not sure how all that's going to work out. Like that doesn't really make sense, God. There's already people there and they look sort of big and like they're very settled <laughs> in this land you said you're going to give us. I wonder if at some point in this journey of Abram following God and trying to seek to be faithful, Abram might have said, uh, using good I statements, of course, uh, God, I am feeling frustrated that you had me leave my homeland and go to this place already occupied by, no, by other people, uh, and also there's no food, and so we're going out over here to Egypt. That seems interesting. Uh, this is harder than I thought it would be. <laughs> I don't think I'm reading too much into the text here to suggest that Abraham at times felt lost, abandoned, disappointed, frustrated by God and by this journey that God had him on. Because stepping out in faith is not a guarantee that it's going to be smooth sailing. In fact, it's almost a guarantee of the opposite. But we know that as Christ followers, we have hope in something far greater than what we see in front of us. Jesus says in John 16, in this world you will have trouble. You will have trouble. But take heart, because I have overcome the world. And so we're in the midst of challenges and hard things that can feel like God has abandoned you. But nothing could be farther from the truth. Because God is there, and God is with you, and you are not alone. The third thing I want to point out about about this passage is that the journey from Haran, where they started to Canaan, is about 500 miles. At normal caravan pace, it would probably take a month. I don't actually know, I just read that. I don't know how long it how fast you can go in a caravan. But they made a couple stops along the way. They stopped at Shechem and they stopped at Bethel, which both became major sacred sites in Israelite history. And Abram stopped and built altars to the Lord at each of those places along the way. These altars were places of worship because altar means to call on the name of the Lord. And the significance of this is that Abram, as he was following God in this hard journey of surrender, stopped, worshipped the Lord, and was reminded of the big picture of what God had in mind for Abram and for, for his people. He needed to stop and to remember and to give thanks. And it's so important that Abram begins his journey this way. Because much of the Old Testament is a story of God leading and providing for the Israelites, God proving God's faithfulness, the Israelites responding in gratitude and worship to the Lord, and then they immediately turn around and forget all that God has done for them. And it happens over and over and over throughout the Old Testament. I will tell you that I had a crossing the threshold moment a while back, a couple of years ago. Uh, I've never been a runner in my life, and um, I got caught up in this Team World Vision stuff. I, perhaps you've heard of this, but they recruit normal people to run a marathon or some other significant race. And there were some other people in my life who had done this, and I thought, all right, I'm going to do that thing. 
And I was very excited about the possibility of raising money uh, for clean water. There are billions of people throughout the world who lack access to clean water. And I thought, okay, I can inconvenience myself for a little bit and, and do this thing and raise money uh, for clean water and I will attempt to, to run or shuffle this marathon. So that's what compelled me to act. What I didn't really know, since I was non, a non-runner, is that then you have to do a lot of training for this ding-ding marathon. <laughs> you don't just show up and run the marathon. Some people do, they didn't all finish. Um, but you have to train and train and train and work up your stamina. And so I spent so many months running around the Twin Cities. And some of the days were, were wonderful and lovely. Um, most of them were awful, and I hated it <laughs> because it was so hard. And I have to tell you that um, this became sort of a, pi- a pilgrimage for me of connecting with God as I ran around the Twin Cities. Because I have places uh, marked out in my mind throughout the Twin Cities where I called out to God on my journey. I remember that I had it out with God um, as I was crossing the railroad tracks on University Avenue because I was lost, I was scared, I was out of energy and water, and I didn't know if I had the stamina to get home. So God and I had some words. But even in my fear, I knew God was there. I remember on the south side of the state fairgrounds on an early morning run, I remember that I suddenly sort of had this sense of peace about a situation that I'd really been wrestling with for a number of months. And I felt the presence of God that revealed to me that God had prepared me for this, for this moment. And the sense of peace came over me on the south side of the state fairgrounds. And when I drive along River Road or cross the Lake Street Bridge, it reminds me of all the other people who were with me on this journey and sustained me when I wanted to quit. The people who said, come on, Kara, keep going. Let's slow down our pace. Let's keep, let's keep trying this. Let's keep going. And those places have become my Shechem's and my Bethel's in that journey. Those are some of the markers for me that remind me of God's faithfulness on that journey. And so New City Covenant This installation of your pastor today is your Shechem, your Bethel. Your invitation to pause and give thanks to God for God's faithfulness and to remember the big picture, the big picture story that God is at work and active in your lives together. Today is a moment to remember how God is with us on this journey. I want to make one final note about God's timing in this. To remind us that whatever journey you're on, your timing is not God's timing. God's timing is perfect, but it doesn't always line up with how we like things to go. (laughs) We like things to go a little bit quicker, usually. And I'll tell you that the story of Abram happens in Genesis 12, which in my Bible is right here. And this is the rest of the story. (laughs) Abram dies soon after this, and he doesn't live to see the rest of the story. But we have this written account of God's faithfulness as God works out his plan and his purposes through God's people. And God is still at work in this community and in our world today, and we cling to that hope and to that promise. So will you join me in prayer? Gracious God, I invite your spirit into this place today. God, you are so faithful and you are trustworthy, and we love you so much, Jesus. God, I pray your blessing on this congregation as they step into this journey of faith. God, I thank you for for Tim as he answers the call to, to come here and to serve. And I pray for this congregation, for their years of faithfulness. I pray that their best years and their best days are still ahead. God, I'm excited for what you will do through this congregation. And I pray that you will make each and every person here 
represented in this room and also those who have not yet heard the good news of Jesus, those who are in the community, uh, those who will begin to come to New City uh, going forward. God, I pray that you will invite them into a lifelong journey of faithfulness as they seek to follow you. God, I thank you for your presence here today. We love you and we trust you. In your name we pray, amen. I'd like to transition to a service of installation uh, for your pastor. And I mentioned earlier that um, installation services are just pure joy <laughs> because they always start with a panicked call that, start, that says, oh no, what are we going to do? Our pastor or pastors are leaving. We don't know what's going to happen. And it has been such a joy to, to walk alongside this church, the careful discernment process, as you, you seek God's will for this congregation. And so it is in a spirit of celebration um, that I'm here today to install your, your pastor, Tim. So, Tim, I'd like to invite you uh, up uh, for this service of installation. Uh, you'll notice that Tim is wearing a stole today. Uh, when pastors are ordained in the Covenant Church and in many denominations, uh, they're given a stole, which is a symbolic representation of being yoked to Christ in Christ's work. It's, uh, it's both a burden and a, and a blessing <laughs> to wear this because it means that your ordination, your call to ministry is not just your own. You belong to something bigger. And in this case, it's the covenant church and, and the family of God. So that's the symbolic uh, meaning behind the stole that Tim is wearing today. So dear friends in Christ at New City Covenant Church, you have called the Reverend Tim Sacconi to be your pastor. By this act, you have indicated your confidence in him to be the shepherd of this congregation. I charge you to receive the word of God through him in all meekness and love. Undergird him in the labors that will be his in the service of God. Remember always that he is God's servant and that you as God's stewards are to supply his needs in a way that will be pleasing to God and an honor to your congregation. In all things, show him your love, esteem him highly, for his calling is your pastor and accept him as your spiritual leader. If these are your intentions, please support him in the continuing ministry of this church by standing now and responding to the following questions. So church, will you receive Tim Sacconi to be your pastor, recognizing his place in spiritual leadership and receiving the word of God through him? If this is your promise, please answer, we will. Will you do your full part to supply his needs in a way that will be pleasing to God? And will you encourage him and share with him in the work of Christ in this church? If this is your promise, please answer, we will. As you're seated, I'd like to invite uh, the members of the congregation who will be coming forward to participate in this service. Uh, we have seven individuals who are coming forward to present uh, symbolic gifts that symbolize the ministry um, that will be taking place here uh, with Pastor Tim. Tim, please accept this Bible and be among us as one who preaches and teaches the good news of God's saving work in Christ. Take this water and be among us as one who baptizes in obedience to our Lord. Pastor Tim, take this bread and wine and be among us to break the bread and bless the cup. Pastor Tim, receive this book and be among us as one who leads us in the worship of God. Receive this oil and be among us and be a minister of God's healing and reconciliation. Dear Pastor Tim, 
please take this wash, wash basin and towel and be among us as one who models sacrificial service. Thank you, church. So, Tim, let all these be signs of the ministry that is yours in this place. So, dear brother in Christ, hear the word of God as directed to ministers of the church of Jesus Christ. Be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished on the words of faith and of the good doctrine which you have followed. Have nothing to do with godless and silly myths. Train yourself in godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. From 1 Timothy 4, 6 through 8. So under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, you have been called by this congregation to be their pastor. God and this congregation have committed the shepherding of this flock to you, and you are admonished by God to be urgent in season and out of season, convince, rebuke, and exhort, be unfailing in patience and in teaching. In all sincerity, preach the word administer the sacraments in accordance with the scriptures, comfort and counsel the sick, the sorrowing and the troubled, and instruct all to live up to their calling in Christ Jesus. Are you willing to assume this responsibility in the strength that God has given you? By the grace of God, I will. In assuming your responsibility as the pastor of this congregation, will you reaffirm your loyalty to the Evangelical Covenant Church and promise to support its work and the work of the Northwest Conference. By the grace of God, I do. Thank you. I'd like to invite uh, Pastor Tim to kneel, and uh, we're going to have a prayer of installation. So, family, if you'd like to come forward and lay hands uh, on Tim. Also, I'd like to invite any uh, leaders in the church uh, to come forward and lay hands on Tim. The rest of us can stay seated and extend a hand of, of blessing. I will pray, and then there's a a congregational response that will be printed on the screen we can say together. Almighty God, in every age you have chosen servants to proclaim your word and lead your people. We give thanks for your servant whom you have called to serve in this place. By your grace, enable him to use use his gifts to do your work. Fill him with your Holy Spirit so that he may have the mind of Christ and be your faithful servant as long as he lives. Pray with me. God of grace, who calls us to a common ministry as ambassadors of Christ, entrusting us with the message of reconciliation, give us courage and discipline to follow where your servants rightly lead us, that together we may declare your wonderful deeds and show your love to the world. Through Jesus Christ, the Lord of all, amen. So in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the head of the church, and by the authority of this congregation and the Northwest Conference, I now declare that Pastor Tim Sacconi is duly installed as pastor of this congregation. You can clap. <laughs> this is a good day. Let us continue to pray that God may be pleased to sanctify with God's heavenly blessing the relationship of pastor and people that has now been established in God's name. Thanks be to God. Amen.